Hello, my name is Danny Flood. Thank you so much for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for starting your own location-independent business, optimizing your life to the fullest, and pursuing your dreams with passion. We live in an exciting time in history, my friends. If you have a dream, invention, product, or business that you've been wanting to launch, it is easier today than ever before. Now you can take your idea and present it on kickstarter.com, ask people for money to fund your idea, and they actually give it to you. It seems crazy, but thousands of entrepreneurs are doing it at this very moment, some raising hundreds of thousands or even millions through the website. That's why I brought on a very special guest for you today. His name is Matt Ward, founder of Art of the Kickstart, and I just wanted to welcome you to the show, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me on today, Danny. So excited to talk to you. I'm excited to talk to you, Matt. And uh, we're calling in today from Chiang Mai, Thailand. Uh, beautiful Thailand. Oh, Thailand is absolutely beautiful. You guys should check it out if you haven't been. <laughs> so a little bit about Matt here. Matt's stated mission through his website, artofthekickstart.com, is to help drive innovation and embolden individuals and entrepreneurs to change the world through their Kickstarter projects and fund their dreams. Um, he has a blog and a podcast that focuses on all things Kickstarter. So, Matt, I want to start out with you telling me and the listener a little bit about your personal story. What was your path um, from the corporate world to where you are sitting here with me today? So I'll jump into my story in a sec, but it looks like I'm going to have to get rid of that completely cliche mission statement and come up with something a little more exciting. <laughs> but my, my story before that, how did I get here? Well, I started out in engineering. I loved math and science, and of course, that's what you do. So I'm going through the corporate world, internship after internship, completely unfulfilled. I just, I can't be another cog in the wheel, the wheel that continues, and you just do the same thing over and over. And this was, it was driving me crazy. I decide I have to become an entrepreneur. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to do this. I journeyed a bit through the kind of the valleys and hills of mobile applications. Of course, I had the great idea for a mobile app startup, worked with a team of dedicated college entrepreneurs that were excited about building it. And as most of you guys know, it's not that easy to build Facebook. We didn't get anywhere. After that, I learned a lot through podcasting, specifically shows like Tropical MBA, uh, Pat Flynn show, just lots of different things while living in abroad in Germany that introduced me to this micro-entrepreneurship game where people can start their own small business. I'd never been exposed to that before. Through that, I learned a great deal about e-commerce, drop shipping, some of the things that people are doing early on in the internet marketing game, and started a podcast and yada, yada, this, that, and the other. And now I'm here talking to you, Danny. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I'm really excited to have you here. So you said that you, uh, your first foray into entrepreneurship was in mobile applications? Absolutely. It was, it is for a lot of people, and it's never the place to start, in my opinion. But everybody, everybody's got to do it. you got to try to make that billion-dollar business idea and just learn that that isn't how it works. Really, there's two worlds. Either there's the venture-backed route, which is what I was going down. Start a business, pitch it to angels, VCs. We had, we had investors that were interested. We were going to get a $10,000 angel Round. And I just, I just realized it wasn't what I needed to be doing. It was the wrong direction to be going. I think I don't really know how to explain that. If, you, if you've experienced it yourself, you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, tell me what the idea was. What were you trying to build? So it's, it's, it's pretty funny, actually. Initially, the idea was a zombie-based infection game where it was location-based it was location based and people would get infected by walking within a certain radius of each other. It was like a contagion. And that evolved, if you can somehow imagine, into a sports social media application where you find people that want to play sports in your area. If you're playing basketball, you need at least four people to make it interesting. Post up basically an ad looking for guys that are playing basketball. If people are in the area and they like some hoops, then they automatically get a notification. So that's what we were working on. 
and it just <laughs> did not end up going where it could have gone, so you as many of from, these ideas do. <laughs> you went from zombies to hoops. So from, from zombies to hoops and everywhere in between. You never know where those pivots are going to take you. So I, I, tr I think the original idea wasn't uh, quite... Uh, sellable or too profitable, too profitable? Oh, no, not at all. This was absolutely an advertising play. We're going to get hundreds of millions of users on here and make oodles of money by selling out to Twitter or Facebook or someone like that. Absolutely, completely green, starry-eyed thinking we're going to take on the world. <laughs> That's fantastic. So did you guys, uh, how far did that go? Were you able to get funding and uh, get new users for it or...? So we did not. It, it did not end up making it that far along. We were at the point where we had investors, local investors interested in Atlanta-based startups, interested for $10,000, and then it just it kind of fell apart. I realized that it wasn't going anywhere. I didn't want to be in the ad-based play of trying to acquire millions of users and I kind of wanted to do this location-independent entrepreneurship thing, so I, I left the team. There are uh, other individuals that are working on an iteration, a new, a new app idea, which is basically turning Siri into something for everyday usage, reading blog posts, reading websites, things along those lines. But I don't think that's going anywhere, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, Matt, I think most of us can relate to everything you just said. I mean, uh, there's scarcely an entrepreneur out there who hasn't experienced uh, some kind of failure or uh, coming up with some idea that doesn't... Um... That's quite a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, I just want to apologize. We have a uh, occasional motorcycle and a tuk-tuk here in Thailand uh, where we're recording, so... Yeah, we're, we're on site. We're doing this live. I'm actually sitting in the hall because my microphone's not quite good enough to handle it. That's all right. Um, so I, I think any entrepreneur can relate to that story you just said. And, um, you know, I, I've created products and, and businesses that never acquired a single customer. Um, but I guess you learn a little bit from it, and it's kind of like a, a badge of honor. Yeah, you don't regret it. Everything, as long as you learn from something, you're getting better, it's worth it. You just don't make those same freaking mistakes again. And if you're going to make mistakes, try to make them uh, uh, as... as fast, fast, fast. As thrifty as possible, so less... What's the word? Uncostly? Or yeah, make, keep, keep it cheap. Cheaply as possible. Yeah, cheap yeah. and simple. <laughs> so tell me, uh, since you left, I don't, how long ago was it when you left that business? So that I left, you could say more or less, more or less five, six months ago-ish. I was part of the team while, while at university. Oh, very recently. Okay. Re uh, relatively recent. Maybe, maybe the numbers are a little off. Somewhere within the last year. I know that. So when did you start Art of the Kickstart, and why did you decide to uh, focus on Kickstarter? So I started Art of the Kickstart, that was about, about six months ago now, and there are a couple of reasons. So I'd, I'd started a podcast before this because podcasts were huge in my life. That's how I found out about this small entrepreneurship game, people like you, Danny, people that are doing it and building businesses for themselves. I wanted to kind of give back. So I had an amazing idea. I'll launch the Business and Bootstrapping podcast, all about bootstrapped entrepreneurship. Well, it turns out... Everyone else had the exact same idea, and I didn't get any kind of market share in spite of the people I was interviewing. But I, I liked podcasting. I enjoyed interviewing people, and at the same time, I had this background in engineering, in entrepreneurship. I was always interested in Kickstarter, creating products. I looked around, and I didn't find anyone doing remotely the, the marketplace was the opposite of saturated when it comes to Kickstarter podcasts, when it comes to helping crowdfunders. And I wanted to be the guy that was going to help people build businesses around crowdfunding, where they have an idea, they can bring a product to market and actually create something. There's a lot of passion there, and I wanted to help those guys. Yeah, that's great. It seems like there's a, uh, a lack of reliable information out there, and I think it's a tremendous resource that you put together for people. Um, it's, it's a bit similar to, I interviewed a few episodes ago, Nick Rommel, who has The Elevator Life, and um, it's all just about starting a business in China, uh, which is, you know, his own unique niche that he found, and 
and there wasn't really any good information out there before that. I think it's, it's all just articles on blogs and stuff like this, but if you're an entrepreneur, I mean, this, this could be one of the biggest campaigns you ever, you've ever launched in your life, uh, a Kickstarter campaign, I imagine, right? Oh, it's, it can be an absolute game changer. So from people raising, I want to say around 11% of campaigns that raise $0 on Kickstarter to all the way up to Zach Grepper's recent campaign, over $13 million on a project he failed the first time around. People are making serious change with Kickstarter campaigns, with creating new products and building businesses. Like for example, Oculus, they launched a Kickstarter campaign two years ago and raised two and a half million dollars. Well, as exciting as that sounds, two years later they got bought by Facebook for two billion dollars. Some of these companies are becoming serious players, especially in the tech space. That is fantastic. So you said that 11% of uh, campaigns don't even raise $1? I want to say that's the statistic. I don't remember entirely, but it's something. It's relatively close to that. And well, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to dwell on it, but I think that's, that's quite funny. I mean, you think they could find like uh, their mom or their cat or uh, uh, their parrot to, to chip in at least $2 or something. I know, right? Come on. You got to pull your personal network in. These people are biologically programmed to love you. And that's just, it's just disappointing. That seems to be like a mindset, you know, maybe they're just not ready to launch a, a campaign um, and devote themselves to it to the degree that they need. Absolutely. That's one of the massive problems. And I like to call this inventor syndrome, where you come up with something cool. I focus, before, let me preface this, I focus primarily with products, technology design-based products where people are innovating or creating something awesome. I haven't done as much with film publishing, but there are other avenues via Kickstarter, via Indiegogo. But one of the issues that inventors in particular, product creators have, is they dedicate months or years of their life to building something amazing and of course, build it and they shall come, correct? But that is absolutely wrong. Anyone that started a business knows that. Crowdfunding's no different. If you build something, you don't put the effort into the pre-launch, into the marketing, you're just gonna fall flat on your face. I think that's also, that, uh, that's psychological. You said the inventor syndrome, right? Yeah, people, they, they focus so much, on the, so much on the details and so little on the sales, and it's just... yeah. I mean, some, we're wired that way. People, absolutely. That's just how it works. I, I think that's one of the greatest Achilles heels, uh, Achilles heel, Achilles heels, I, Achilles heel of entrepreneurs um, is that they they spend so much time putting themselves into the product, and then there's this paralyzing fear uh, when it comes time to launch it. You know, you can spend a year on a product, and then what? You know, what if it's not well received? What if uh, you know people don't like it? What if they ridicule me or I get negative reviews? Um, and that, that's enough to really want you to keep you from even trying, I think, right? Absolutely. No one wants to be told they have an ugly baby. And when you put your baby out there for everyone to see, there are going to be people that shut you down. But at the same time, this isn't, this isn't actually a child. This is a business. The sooner you get it out there, the sooner you get feedback. That's one huge thing about crowdfunding is, the, sure, the money's great, but there's so much else that comes into play. I've had, I've interviewed about 90, 90 inventors, creators at this point. They've raised like $14 million. But in spite of all of the money they've raised, some of the biggest feedback, some of the biggest benefits they've gotten from their campaign is connecting with backers, seeing what individuals think about their products, how to make it better. Some of these campaigns are changing their course. They're pivoting mid-campaign and updating, fixing, improving the product to make it that much better to go to market. It's it's huge. It's, in my opinion, it is the epitome of Eric Reese's lean startup. Get it out there as cheaply as possible and get feedback on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, whenever you're afraid, whenever you have fear of doing something, uh, breaking it down into bite-sized chunks that are manageable and just making baby steps, uh, you know, starting somewhere small. Let's say your, your dream is to travel, you know, and, and don't, don't just book a ticket for six months, you know, just, just take a trip to Mexico for like three weeks or something and just live on your own for a while, disconnect. Um, and as far as crowdfunding is concerned, you know, I was in the same boat where I had a product and I wanted to just, you know, set a goal of 50,000, uh, but I didn't feel confident enough in it and I didn't know crowdfunding well enough. But since then, I've, I've done two other crowdfunding campaigns, both for charitable causes. 
and I've learned so much. You know, the first one failed, uh, the second one was successful, but I didn't lose anything by launching those campaigns first. And I think I like that approach better, you know, starting somewhere small and uh, making it manageable versus trying to go for a home run, you know, right from the get-go if you have no experience. Yeah, that's absolutely huge, and there's there's a huge uh, there's a huge benefit in addition to that, especially with Kickstarter, Indiegogo platforms like that. Let's say you launch a small campaign, you want to make us a, a watch, so you go, you put your campaign out there. You need ten thousand dollars to make it happen. Awesome, your dream your dream's happening, but you can follow up. You can put out new and additional products, and you have all of those backers. They've already interacted with you. You've got their contact information. They trust you. I've had podcast guests on here like Kendall and Hyde. I want to say they're on their fifth campaign now, close to a million dollars combined, just because each and every time you go back, you already have an audience to sell your product to. You can rise through the rankings of Kickstarter right when you launch so much faster and more effectively, which is critical to making your campaign succeed, to raising as much money as possible. So it's, it's like a gamified system. If you get in early and keep working it, you can make the system really work for you. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. And I just had a big aha um, as you were speaking there. You know, a lot of people in the internet space, online marketing, they try to focus on building a mailing list, you know, uh, email subscribers. Absolutely. Uh, people who download, you know, freebies. But what you just said is, is what, when people launch a crowdfunding campaign, they're getting a list of actual customers. And in my mind, and I know in, in a lot of direct marketing experts actually talk about this, is a customer list is infinitely more valuable than a mailing list. I mean, don't get me wrong, a mailing list is valuable, but uh, the people who have bought from you once before are highly likely to buy from you again. And you just the way you just presented that, I, I can see this huge aha because this this is not just a product you know creation product launch strategy, but also a key marketing strategy as well. Absolutely, I would completely agree with you. And I want to build up on that. If you're thinking about launching a crowdfunding campaign, start building your email list before the campaign launches because that's going to make it easier. There is so much marketing involved with your campaign, and you can learn so much from these. Marketers, they're having huge product launches, whether internet marketing or physical products. The bigger your launch list, the more successful you're going to be. The way Kickstarter works is it's a velocity-based engine. So they make money, they make a percentage of whatever you raise on your campaign. So the more money you raise, the more money they make. They want are therefore they're incentivized to show the winners. They don't want to show the losers. So the faster you're raising money, the higher you're going to rank, the more organic Kickstarter traffic you're going to get. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where you automatically rise up and just blow your campaign out of the water. You need like 20 or 30% of your campaign funded on the first day, first two days, to really have a high shot at making it happen. So if you can come out strong, come out with your email list and come out firing. That's how you make your campaign just crush it. 20 to 30%, you say, in the first few days. Yeah, that's that's the stats. If you want, basically, if you're well short of that, you're going to be in trouble. If you're above that, you're going places. Okay. I want to I wanna get into how to step-by-step step with you in just a second. Um, but I wanted to also comment on uh, something we said earlier. I, I noticed that... When I did a couple of crowdfunding campaigns, first I did one for a website called Volunteer Forever because um, I wanted to do some volunteering work in, uh, in Asia. And one thing I learned, one mistake, big mistake I made is that I realized my personal network is not enough. Uh, it wasn't worth very much at all as I thought. I thought, well, you know, this is, I have this good cause. My friends and family, you know, they're going to get behind me, uh, but they didn't. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, the personal network is never enough. And if it is enough, then you're relying too much on your personal network. But there are some tricks you can use to leverage your personal network. So a lot of people aren't that familiar with crowdfunding. They don't understand how it works. What you need to do is you need to make each and every single person that you know familiar with your campaign before you launch. You export all of your Facebook contacts, all of your LinkedIn contacts, all of your Gmail contacts. And it might sound excessive, but you're gonna send them all an email at least about three days before your campaign launches, just telling them, guys, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm trying to change the world. I need your help. But that's not enough. 
You don't necessarily even need them to back you. You've got to explain the importance, though, of this early launch, of gamifying the system. By launching and coming out strong, that's how you rank highly. So you're going to ask them, guys, if you're backing me, if you believe in what I'm doing, purchase on the first day, back me on the first day and help me rank. If you're not interested, then share this. Help me at least get in front of more people and try to make this happen. But by shooting that out a couple days before the campaign and then right after your campaign launches, you're gonna maximize your success with your personal network. Okay, so you recommend just a few days, like not, not a, a few weeks uh, in advance? A few weeks is probably beneficial as well to give people kind of a, a brief heads up, but I wouldn't put too much information into that because they're going to forget. But then hitting them up a couple days before and then right when it launches. So pro probably three emails total. Okay. I want to get more into marketing, um, but I want to kind of just provide the listener an outline of uh, the Kickstarter campaign and things I want to just cover real quick. Uh, is that all right, Matt? Yeah, go for it. So the seven steps to start your Kickstarter campaign. One is you decide what your project is and your story. Two, decide how much money you want to raise. Three, decide what rewards you want to give and the pledge amounts. Four, decide on your campaign duration. Five, create a compelling video to explain and promote the campaign. Six, prepare your list of backers and outlets to contact beforehand, which we kind of just touched on. Uh, and then seven is setting up the campaign on kickstarter.com and launching it. So. Uh, I want to go back. Uh, let's let's go back to one and two, um, deciding what your story is, and also how do you decide how much money you want to raise when you just you have the seed of an idea um, and you're trying to figure this all out. So, basically, what you need to focus on. One thing with crowdfunding is it's a community. It's not like Amazon. It's not like eBay. This is something where each and every single person on there has a vested interest in the success of crowdfunding, in seeing other people succeed. It's really different than big business. And by showcasing the story of your startup, why you're creating this product, why your team came together, what the, some of the struggles and challenges you've been, that's can be huge for building relationship, building rapport with your backers. So that's kind of part of the story that you're building. And in terms of goals, what you need, how much money to raise, there's two real schools of thought here. So the first thing is you need to figure out exactly what it's gonna to take to make whatever you're offering happen. If you need manufacturing, you've gotta get the molds made. You've gotta think about how much products cost. You need to get all of that set ahead of time to understand what to shoot for on your Kickstarter campaign. But once you have that number down, that doesn't necessarily have to be your goal. There's two ways to go about it. Typically, crowdfunding will recommend going for whatever the goal. You need $10,000 to produce yada yada to get your manufacturing done, to ship everything out to your backers. Don't forget all of those extra little costs that you're not thinking about now. Everything that it's going to take, that's typically a good value to set your goal at. But there's also psychological plays that you can do. So I interviewed a guy named Michael Finzio. He ran a Kickstarter campaign for a ravioli roller. And he set his goal at $1,000, which is obviously less than what it's going to take for him to start making this manufacturing, fulfill all the orders. But if you set your goal low, and think about it this way, if... If you say, I'm going to raise $1,000, a dollar is 0.1% of what you're raising. It doesn't feel like much, and even if someone's giving you $100, you're only 10% of the way there. Now, if you say you want to raise 100 bucks, and your mom goes and gives you 50 or someone buys something for $100, you're at 100%, it sounds more exciting. So potentially, and this is dangerous, guys, you really are playing with fire by doing this, but I'd at least look into it. By setting your rewards lower than what, or your goals lower than what you need them to be, it's gonna make your multipliers look bigger. You've raised 2,400% of your goal. That makes your campaign more exciting. It also means that backers aren't gonna hesitate because they know if they back your product, most of these campaigns in Kickstarter and Indiegogo, they only get the product. You only succeed if you fund all of the way. Indiegogo also has flexible funding, which means, shoot, we didn't quite make it to our goal, but we're still going to get the money anyways. But that's not as common as the all or nothing, which is typically how crowdfunding works. So if you set your goals low and you crush them, then you can potentially get more media coverage, escalate that way. I think I got a little long-winded in there. Sorry about that. 
That's okay. I feel uh, I made a mistake by combining uh, one and two. Um, but I just want to add to what you said. So, um, so isn't there a psychological incentive to uh, help someone reach the goal? But you're saying that there's still a psychological incentive, even if you surpass the goal, to still donate to the campaign and still market the campaign? Yeah, so there's a psychological, basically campaigns that get over about 50% of the way funded. I can't remember the entire statistic, but they're very, very likely to fund because people want to see you succeed. But then there's the caveat of campaigns that are overfunded. Essentially, no one wants to bet on a loser. Everyone wants to be rooting for the winning team. You get that rush. You get that boost. Like you helped them make it happen and you feel like you're part of the team. So a lot of times campaigns will do really well after they hit that 100% of their goal mark because every backer knows if I back them, I'm backing a winner, I'm going to get a product, and I'm going to be able to see the company grow. Right. So winning breeds more winning, I guess, and um, is what you're saying. So, yeah, so I think, I think I saw that statistic as well. If you get 50% of the way through the campaign to your funding goal, uh, I think over 90% of campaigns become fully funded at that point. Yeah, if you do that before the halfway mark of your campaign, I believe. It's, it's, it's an insane amount. People love seeing people succeed. Cool. So I want to go back to the story just for a second. I wanted to add something um, to what you said, because when I was preparing my first Kickstarter, uh, not my first Kickstarter, my first crowdfunding campaign, um, I took a lot of notes, and especially on the story aspect. So I just wanted to add something, if I, if I may. Yeah, of course. Um, so I guess any, any startup, I mean, you, you don't have funding. You, you barely have a minimal viable product. You don't really have much going except your story and your vision. Um, and you actually touched on a few really uh, key concepts. And there was this book I read. It's, it's by Lois Kelly. It's called Beyond Buzz. And they actually talk about four storylines uh, to craft a compelling story. And I think it, it's really relevant to Kickstarter. So I just wanted to share. Um, number one is great aspirations. So if you have a great aspiration like, you know, the hero wants to make the world a better place and knows there must be a better way, um, working nights and weekends, they... Uh, create something that people love. Uh, two is David versus Goliath. Goliath has a head start and incredible resources. Uh, David takes him on and defeats him, showing that the underdog can succeed. Three, profiles and courage. Um, injustice, pain, and suffering is making the hero's life miserable. Um, despite this, they persevere and accomplish great things. And then four is uh, personal stories. So it might not be an epic story, but illustrative enough to talk about your personal experience uh, doing something or using the product. Tell me about what are some of the most um, <clears throat> compelling personal stories that you've seen, and, and give me like maybe an example or two that you've witnessed from your experience. I would say there's a lot of great examples, and I'm going to lead more towards the social entrepreneurship aspect of crowdfunding, which isn't all products, but typically they're ones that can have amazing stories. So one campaign that I had on, Rainforest Connection, Topher White is building a business that's geared towards helping fight illegal deforestation in basically rainforests and third world countries around the world. Using recycled cell phones... They can monitor in one-mile tracks using the sound sensor on your phone to make sure that people aren't cutting down trees where they shouldn't be. And with something like that, you can just build such an amazing story around that. But then at the same time, there's companies that you would completely never expect to have amazing stories that do. I just recently looked into and case studied a campaign, the Mouser campaign, and it was essentially a robotic toy for cats. And it doesn't sound like there would be that much of a story behind it, but they did an incredible job of sharing what their, why they were doing this. They talked about how they were cat people. They showcased their cats, and they made this really awesome video and campaign geared around showcasing what their startup was doing. It doesn't necessarily have to be a hero's journey type of story. You just want to be able to connect really what you need with your story. This is, this is what you need. You need to connect with the backer on an emotional level. Either they need to feel a huge relief seeing something like what you're creating. They need to connect with you and feel like they could see themselves in your shoes. 
or you want them to be able to understand and comprehend the product. They've never seen this before. They need to feel as if they have. So part of what you're sharing is the story about your startup, which is important, but part of it is the story about them. How are you going to improve their lives? How does your product, your service, whatever you're making, make them happier and have a better life? Okay, that's great. So the product has its benefits. I can see that. But by also telling your story, you're kind of connecting on shared passions. And um, I think we're on the verge of something big here. How, how do you get them so excited by connecting with them emotionally on a human level that they're like, you know, they can't wait to donate? You know, they're like, all right, here's, let me write you a check or let me donate, you know, $100. How do you connect with them on that human level? I think that's, that's, really, that's really the caveat. That's the hard part. Think about it this way, though. When was the last time that you felt engaged, involved with a company like Nike, Walmart, Adidas? Sure, you might love their videos. You might love their ads. But there's nothing special about them. There's no way you can relate. But what we're talking about here is don't position yourself as a massive company. Position yourself as a startup, someone that's on their level. And tell the story in a way that they feel as if they're you. I think that's, I think that's what you're looking for. So you want to you wanna both have the story and then have, have the features, which are important, but more importantly, the benefits. Why does this make their life? This is really hard to, uh, I don't like the question. Not that it's a bad question. It's just one of those questions that's so difficult and challenging to, challenging to contemplate. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I can't voice what I'm thinking. It just doesn't work. <laughs> I might have a couple of suggestions because I, you know, my background's in marketing, and I, I find the psychological aspect so fascinating. Um, yeah, so I think one one really important aspect is identifying who your target markets are uh, before the campaign and really understanding them well. And um, you know, as someone who's a marketing consultant working with clients in hundreds of hundred different types of industries. Uh, one thing I often recommend to clients is reaching out to these markets that you want to target, you know, maybe in a campaign, crowdfunding campaign, and just saying, you know, hey, I want to call you. Uh, I want to just do an informational interview. I just have a few questions. Um, I'd like to get some feedback. And I think you can record that if you have Skype or, or some kind of recorder. And I think the feedback you get is gold because they're actually telling you what it is they're interested in, um, you know, what they respond to. It's, it's similar to what uh, Dane Maxwell talks about with, idea extraction, only you're, you're applying this to your story and uh, the marketing of your campaign, right? Absolutely. And you can do that with products as well. One thing I recommend, get your product out in front of people well before your campaign. So go to meetup groups related to whatever you're building. If you're building a bike, go to biker meetups. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, but getting your product in front of people to see their feedback is critical. Another thing that you can do, though, when you're doing this, get them on video if they're cool with it. Get testimonials of people supporting you and the product. That way you're getting that social support, which is absolutely critical for a startup that's completely unproven, showcasing A, how people use the product, and B, that they actually like it, that you actually can deliver on this. Doing both of those is huge before your campaign. Okay, awesome, awesome. Some great, uh, great insights and great uh, things you've shared. Uh, I'm really liking this conversation so far. I did have uh, one book recommendation, if I may. Um, one of the oldest books, it's, it's an advertising book called How to Write a Good Advertisement by Victor Schwab. And what's unique about this book, I think you can find it in a library. You can probably find it online for cheap. Uh, he, he talks about a lot of things that humans want and things they want to avoid. And um, it, it kind of taps into a lot of those primal instincts. So. If uh, you're interested in this topic, I recommend you check it out. Yeah, some great copywriting is critical for your Kickstarter, your crowdfunding campaign, because this is still a sales page. Even though you're pre-ordering, it is a bit different. You still need to play to people's emotions and sell them on whatever you're making. Still need to connect with those, those basic human drives. Absolutely. So let's go to number three. I guess three and four are kind of related, but let's, let's just do three first. Um, and that's decide what rewards to give and your pledge levels. So let's jump right in. How do you create irresistible rewards and how do you come up with good rewards? 
So here's, here's the first thing. So the most important reward that you have in your campaign is whatever your product is going to be. This is going to be where the vast majority of your revenue, but not all of your revenue comes from. So that's going to be typically most important to showcase that, to showcase the product itself. But once we're getting into the ancillary, ancillary rewards, there is a lot of value in those too. So there's a couple of things I like to hit on. So first, you got to have the thank you or the dollar reward, something cheap and easy out. If you're going to be sending this to your entire personal network, some of them aren't going to be interested in the amazing new bike you built or the cool new watch. So by having something that's like a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, whatever, support my campaign, thank you so much, I will love you forever, that gives it something where they can actually back you, they can get a little bit invested in the campaign, and they'll get campaign updates. That way you're not missing out. Another thing that campaigns typically do is have another low-level reward before the product itself. A lot of people do t-shirts, which I typically think is a terrible idea because let's face it, your brand has no brand recognition at this point. No one knows your logo. Unless you have a really cool or connected product that goes along with a t-shirt, there's not a lot that people are really gonna want about a t-shirt. You have to worry about sizes and all of these other issues. That's something you should avoid. But the more creative you can get in your rewards, the better. Some companies, some startups have done really well by just coming up with absolutely crazy things. The founder will shave his head or will make a meetup or a get-together. Anything that you can do that is a high-margin thing where either an information product, a get-together, something where you're making a lot of money without having to spend a lot of money, that's something critical on your rewards. In terms of numbers of rewards, I like anywhere in the neighborhood of five to 10. If you have too many tiers, people are gonna get confused. You walk into a department store that's selling seven different pairs of shoes and they all cost $10, you can't choose between them. Make sure you have a, some gap or pricing differences between your tiers. You want low, then maybe a medium, your product, and then a baller reward, something that's like outside the box, because there's always gonna be those people that have the ego. So if you have something on there, a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollars, come out to our headquarters, help us name the new product, get your face on our website. Crazy things like that, as silly as they sound, there's almost always someone that'll back you on those and help you raise a little bit of extra funding. Those are the, those are the typical high points for rewards. Oh, and have an infographic. Make sure you showcase something that shows all of your products. So for people that have an online business, think about it like this. This is gonna be your sales page that outlines each and everything in a simple, easy to understand format. Because if you can make people see what you're offering, then there's gonna be less confusion, less holding them back from actually buying. Yeah, I think that's a great point too because often I'll see a Kickstarter campaign page and I won't instantly read all of the copy on there, but I do pay attention to the charts and the images and the graphics on the page. Yeah, absolutely. Some people like to read, some people are more visual. By appealing to both, you're gonna get the best of both worlds. Okay, that's great. And that's just a great marketing um, strategy just in general. Make sure that your communication is absolutely clear that you know everyone will be able to understand it. So let's, let's go back into rewards. Uh, I think I'm looking at a chart here. Uh, you mentioned $1 rewards. I'm looking at a chart, though, and it seems like uh, the two biggest reward levels, pledge levels, are uh, $11 to $25 and $26 to $50. And the third one is $51 to $100. So I imagine that's kind of like the sweet spot. And that's probably where most products uh, fall into those into those areas. Would you agree? I, I would say it really depends. I don't think, honestly, there is a sweet spot. The sweet spot is focused on whatever your product is. If you have an amazing product that costs $200, that's where your sweet spot's going to be. If it costs $50, that's your sweet spot. That's where you're going to make the majority of your money. Then typically with what you're saying, the $11 to $25, that's going to be in your lower tier range where you have something that's related to the company. It's not necessarily the product. It could be an accessory. But I don't think people need to focus as much about hitting special special levels or tiers that'll be the highest funders. Those are just a consequence of what people are putting up as rewards. If you have the low, medium product and high level level rewards, you're gonna 
you're going to price anchor your things to the most effective way possible. So I think what you said earlier is the, the most irresistible, the best reward you can ever offer is a copy of the product. Um, but then there's also other ways to make it more valuable, like uh, having limited copies of the product and then also bundling. So if you have a higher end product, you could, you could also bundle the lower reward levels too. I mean, is that a good strategy? Yeah, typically, typically when you look at campaigns, those are two different things. So one is early birds. This is for anyone that understands marketing psychology. You set a limited quantity. Guys, we're running out soon. Get a special deal now. So the first 100 people that back the campaign and buy the product, they're going to have 50, 100, $200 off whatever the product is. That's so you can come out of the game with a bang. You can rise up through the rankings. Then the other back end of what you were saying is higher level tiers. Typically when you make something, the higher the level you go, Generally, everything below that will be included in the rewards. So if you have a t-shirt, a hat, a snow jacket, if someone buys the highest level, they're going to get each and everything under that, unless it doesn't make sense monetarily or the products are kind of conflicting. Okay, that's great. And that's actually um, one of the things I wanted to get into uh, as well um, was... You mentioned limiting the product, which creates scarcity, uh, motivating people to donate. But what are some other ways to motivate uh, donors? I mean, can you just give me an, uh, one or two tips? Uh, there's, there's a couple of different things you can do. In terms of the most important thing is to have amazing products, to showcase the product, showcase the video of people using it so people feel like they've had it. They feel like they need to have this. Then you can also sell the benefits on the product focusing on why this is going to make someone's life better. Limiting quantity is always, it's always valuable, but you can only do it once. You can only have that as your starter right off the bat. Uh, other ways that you can make things more valuable or more exciting, add some personality or humor into your rewards. A lot of times, some of these companies are bland and boring, and that just makes you not stand out at all. You feel you feel like just another one of the big shots. But if you put a little personality into your campaign, a lot of times if you can get people to laugh, you can get people to smile, they're gonna be significantly more likely to back you. So throw a little bit of a joke, a pun into your rewards. Something like that is generally pretty helpful. Unless you miss terribly. If you're not a funny person, don't go for it. <laughs> yeah, make, make light of how unfunny you are. Maybe that'll be funny. Um, yes, that, that works all the time. Guys. Yes, I mean. so I want to I want to get into that actually. Um, the next next step I, I number four was decide on a duration. I don't want to get into that too long. I, I do want to get into number five, uh, which which was making the video, and I want to talk a little bit more about the video, uh, which which really I think is is critical in showcasing your personality. Again, if you can get them to like you, you can get them to laugh. I imagine that's that's big. Uh, but what, I want to hear from you. What makes a successful video and how, how can you successfully market and, and get your video out there so that, uh, how do you promote it as well? A successful video is kind of a, it's an interesting question. So the most successful videos are engaging. There's not necessarily a specific type, but they're engaging to the backers, the audience, the target customers that you're shooting for. So I was actually given a class on this to digital nomads here in Chiang Mai, and there's really four different types of successful videos in my opinion. So the first type is your highly polished, kind of sexy Hollywood-esque video. And for a great example of that, you can check out the bomber bag. But this is where you're showcasing the product. That is primarily what you're doing, the product and the brand behind it. So you're making people feel an emotion geared towards your products. This would be more of your high-end high end video types. But it's not typically that easy for Kickstarter campaigns. And it's hard to do successfully because... If, if you miss, you miss bad. What a lot of Kickstarter campaigns do is they go for a little bit more personality. This is what I like for people to focus on. Share the product, share the story, have some testimonials in there of people using your product, and have your founders on camera. Have a little call to action. Kickstarter, this is why we came to you guys. We believe in the crowdfunding community and we want you to believe in us. Typically something like that will work best in my opinion. 
The next type is just a demo, just a pure demo. So I was talking about the ravioli roller campaign before. These guys have a 90-second Kickstarter video, which seems, it seems lame, it seems boring. They don't even say a word. It's completely silent. It's just the founder on video making the world's greatest rolled ravioli. So showcasing the product. So I'd say the four things you really need in your video, showcase the product. By having videos and pictures, you're really letting people see what it's all about. Showcase the founders and the story. So people want to know who they're buying from. It boosts conversions. It makes them feel like part of the company itself. Have testimonials. Show users using the video or using the product so people know what it's like. They know they can trust you. Uh, the Pano campaign did an amazing job with this. They raised millions of dollars without hardly ever showing or talking about the product. They just had some of the world's greatest musicians on there giving them amazing testimonials. And then lastly, put a little bit of personality or branding into there. So showcase individuals using the product and how, how that product's gonna affect their lives. Those are the four main things you want. And finish strong with a call to action. That's, that's fantastic, you gave a great uh, overview there. Thank you, Matt. Um, you, you also mentioned uh, call to action, and I wanna get into the second part of the question, which was promoting the video. Um, I think it's important to remember that if you're sharing this video, like on Facebook, social media, you, you most likely want to put uh, a URL back to your campaign and, and say what people, what action they want to take. You mentioned call to action. Uh, but but I, I'm sh I imagine the video is not just going to appear on the page, it's going to appear on YouTube and other websites. Um, so, so why don't you talk about how uh, a good way to kind of promote the, vi the video, or I guess just promote the campaign, you know, once, once the, the campaign's uh, launched, what's, what's your strategy? So there's your first problem right there. You don't start promoting when it's launched. You start way in advance. So this is kind of this is kind of goes into that press and marketing that you have as six. Um, what I, I would honestly probably put that as number two in your steps to a successful campaign. You start that right off the bat. Two to three months before this campaign's even out there, you're starting to build up your social media. You're trying to get Twitter, Facebook, all of these things to get followers to share your campaign to get or to see basically to build it up so you have a platform to launch from. Also be pitching press outlets. Before your campaign launches, say, guys, this is what we're doing. We would love for you to share a story about us on our launch day. Make it something exciting. Have it you need to you need to appeal to the you need to appeal to them, not just why you want them to share your campaign, why you want them to do it, but how it'll help them. Guys, this will help you get an amazing story for your newspaper. This is gonna be revolutionary. Or giving them exclusive access or founder interviews, things like that that give them that unfair advantage are reasons for people to support you and to share your campaign ahead of time. In terms of getting it shared on social media, the most important thing for when your campaign is launched in you're also going to be pitching press outlets the entire time during your campaign. You're going to send hundreds, if not thousands, of these if you don't hire your own PR agency. But what you need to do then is to just keep sharing it around on social media. Keep asking people to do that. And most importantly, have an engaging video. No one wants to share something that's lame because it's going to make them look lame. So do your homework, get your video made, and make sure it's awesome. Okay, cool. So just a reminder there, number six was uh, to prepare a list of backers and outlets to contact beforehand. And you actually mentioned a great tip, uh, which I agree with in your workshop, but you didn't mention it yet, uh, is if play, play to the advantage of uh, your local community. So target local outlets, like uh, local newspapers and local magazines, because they're usually uh, more receptive to the idea of the hometown hero uh, doing something big to change the world, right? Absolutely. Get out in front of the people that you were born around, you lived around, because you're going to be one of the most exciting stories in town. And get, so pitch your local newspaper, pitch people around in your area. And another thing I love in terms of getting local, just go to a mall, pretend like you belong, showcase your product there until they kick you out. You're, that way you get in front of so many extra people, which is really what matters when your campaign is first launching, to get people seeing your campaign, sharing your campaign, backing your campaign. It's those early, early wins. 
Additionally, build up an email list before you launch. Have a landing page that you're driving traffic to, either through paid ads or social media, posting on forums, whatever you're doing, build up as big of an email list as possible before launching. The more that you have guaranteed, the more successful you're gonna be. That's how you hit it out of the park. Okay, so how much of a, a budget do I need to start building my list beforehand? I don't think you need any budget at all. This really depends on how big of a goal you have for the campaign. I know people that have started, that pe some people that have done $5 a day in ads. I know people that have done nothing in ads. I know people that have spent thousands of dollars. Really, it depends on the size of your list. If you've got a blog, if you've got something where you have an audience already, like you do, Danny, that's a great way to get started. If you don't, then start building those now while you're getting the campaign ready. Start building Twitter, Facebook, everything like that. You don't have to advertise, but let's say you are going to advertise. You have big goals. You have big dreams and aspirations. Don't advertise in the middle of the campaign. It's, it's a complete waste of time. Do it beforehand to build up your email list or on launch day to rank really highly right off the bat. Lastly, let's say you're running a little short on funding and you're terrified, holy shit, are we gonna fund? I'm not sure if we'll have to swear on there, but it's too late now. And now make sure before it's too late, you throw the ad dollars at it like, holy cow, holy cow, holy cow, okay, we made it. Those are the three times where it's possible to use ads. I wouldn't recommend doing it in the middle unless you have massively massive goals, which I don't think anyone needs to have. <laughs> don't, don't worry about swearing. We'll add the explicit tag uh, to this after not so. Oh, no worries. iTunes isn't too good about checking, so we should be okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think we've just about uh, covered pretty much everything on the list. Um, the last step, of course, number seven was... Uh, start the campaign and launch it. Uh, and if you've done everything on the list so far, then that should almost be uh, an afterthought, right? Is there anything else you want to add? That's pretty much an afterthought. You start building the campaign, you have it up there. You need to submit it to Kickstarter. It's not instantaneous, guys. It should take about two days. Sometimes it takes, I've seen it take as much as a week. But make sure you factor that into play, especially when you're telling people the campaign's going to launch, you're getting your press and everything lined up. Have it built and ready before you want to launch, and then you can just hit the, hit the red button whenever you're ready. Yeah, that's great. I think uh, preparation is the key, but you also want to hustle like hell once your campaign is is uh, launched and I guess kind of post something new about it every day or, or at least kind of get it on news feeds every day if you can. Um, and I think one, one good approach might be to, rather than just kind of keep saying the same thing, maybe kind of coming up with a different message that you can post each day. Um, I. I my own social media strategy, what I like to do is I'll often post in the morning and also at night. Uh, I do it for two reasons. One is because I'm in Thailand, and uh, I want to do it when the people I, I know in Asia are up and the people back home are up. Uh, but I also, I don't want to post multiple things to my newsfeed within a narrow window because then they have to compete with each other. Um, but I, 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 think, I think it's really important that, you know, every single day you need to be able to post something new about your campaign, like say, you know, this celebrity gave an endorsement or, uh, you know, our video just reached 5,000, you know, 10,000 views or whatever, uh, stuff like that, right? Yeah, the more updates, the more engagement you have with backers, they're going to feel more connected and they'll be more likely to share the campaign. You can also have updates like, guys, this is what we're doing today. You can also talk about yourself. You can have pictures, anything that you're holding back. You can just be like, guys, we need your help. Help us make this happen. Any kind of updates that you have, anything you do to engage people is going to be great. Yeah, so Matt, what I understand is that a lot of people, they tend to uh, pick up on insights during the course of their campaign, and they're able to kind of correct course based on um, some of the feedback that they get while they're trying to promote the campaign. Is that correct? That's kind of true, and it would be great if they weren't so far off course that they were already in trouble. If you go into your campaign completely blind, you're essentially going to crash into the shore and, and die and just have to restart the campaign. And here's why. It's, it's marketing. That's, that's the biggest challenge. Like we were talking about before, this inventor syndrome thing. If you don't have your marketing down, if you don't have everything down before the campaign launches, people come to me all the time asking, can you please make this happen? Help me save this campaign. And honestly, most of the time, the answer is, I'm sorry, I can't. If you start 
there's oftentimes nothing you can do to get your campaign going. And that might sound depressing, but there is things that you can do to save yourself. So like we, we said before, the coolest cooler, they raised $13 million. Well, guess what? The first time around, he failed his campaign. You don't, just because your campaign fails doesn't mean your business or your idea is necessarily a failure. Sometimes small tweaks can change it, make things happen. You can pull a campaign that's not going to make it off and prepare to relaunch. Say, guys, we're pulling this down. We weren't quite ready. We're going to make changes. We're going to improve upon this project. You get your marketing down. You improve the messaging, the benefits, why people should buy. You crush the video, and you can come back and raise $13 million and be absolutely crazy. So some of it will be learning and changing as you go, but some of these things you're really so much better off knowing ahead of time because it's really hard to course correct if you're too far off the mark. And a lot of people come in not entirely prepared, unfortunately. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, well, Matt, this has been great. Thank you so much. Um, if you are thinking about doing a crowdfunding campaign and need some more information before you pull the trigger, I highly recommend you check out both Matt's blog and podcast. He's got a lot of great content on there available for free, a lot of successful, um, a lot of case studies of successful campaigns, and he also offers one-on-one -on -one consulting if you need that extra uh, support and guidance during your campaign. Can I, can I say the, the price, Matt? Yeah, sure. So typically, typically coaching is what, what most people like. They don't necessarily want to hire someone to do it all themselves. They're entrepreneurs. They know they can do this, but you need help with making it happen, with getting these things ready ahead of time. So what my, what my favorite package that I offer is Kickstarter coaching. That's 500 and that gets you five weeks with me. We're going to have a weekly Skype call leading up to your campaign, and then during the campaign to make sure that you're doing each and every single thing that is the most important to make your campaign fund. We'll keep you on track before the campaign launches so that you're ready to ready to kill it. And also, Danny, for your listeners, I know a lot of people are interested in learning about crowdfunding. If you guys go to artofthekickstart.com slash open world, I put together a little resource package for you guys on how to crush your Kickstarter campaign, mistakes to avoid, success guides, what you need for rewards, and case studies on how to have an absolutely killer campaign page. Artofthekickstart.com slash open world. You guys can get that just for trading your email. Awesome, Matt. Thank you so much. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, so you can look for that there. Um, yeah, it sounds like a great deal. $500 for consulting, and uh, you get that extra boost of confidence. You get an experienced um, Kickstarter expert backing you, and you also have a lot of connections too, right, that you can, you can help uh, your clients to promote their campaign with, right? That's one of the most incredible things, to be honest. I never, I didn't think about it ahead of time, but at this point, I've interviewed 90-some-odd Kickstarter creators, people, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and others, people that are creating crowdfunding campaigns, crowdfunding products, and I'm building a community around that on Facebook, a secret little group for people, but at the same time, I have all these connections. Everybody can always use help, whether you're creating a wearable product and somebody else has already done it, or there's a perfect partnership out there, I keep seeing these little connections pop up, connecting people. And I think that's a huge part of the value in crowdfunding and entrepreneurship, is everybody, they're not necessarily competing. They're more working to build the pie, and everybody wants to see everybody else succeed. I love connecting people with others in the industry, others that have done related stuff that can help them just absolutely kill it with their business. Awesome. So maybe you can tell me, i just curious, uh, maybe you can give me a case study or two of uh, clients you've worked with. Like, give me a, tell me about some cool clients or cool products you've helped uh, to create thus far. So I would say the coolest campaign that I've worked with so far, gosh, I wish I had worked with them the entire time. I can't claim that I have. But if you guys go to Indiegogo and search for Smart Mat, there's a campaign out there now, and it's essentially a tracking device for yoga. So it coaches people through the posture of 
dominating with yoga. And I worked with these guys. They've raised like $300,000 at this point. Came in, helped critique their campaign copy, critique it to make sure that it's more engaging for backers. Getting that's, – that's a big part of your campaign. So your campaign page is critical. And a lot of inventors out there aren't copywriters. I'm blessed to have a benefit or a background in copywriting. I've done e-commerce. I've done crowdfunding, copywriting, all of these things. So I went in and worked with those guys on ways to improve their video, their copywriting, and to have it just resonate completely with backers. Another cool campaign I worked with was actually a past podcast guest, Ray Palermo, and his first his first campaign, The Quad Cooker, absolutely crushed it. It's basically a naturally fired charcoal cooker for absolutely delectable meals. And he wanted to come back and create something smaller, more portable, a picnic-friendly option. So I worked with Ray consulting throughout the campaign on marketing strategies, on copywriting, writing it, making the video better. They raised over $20,000. And it's just, it's just incredible to see people coming to crowdfunding and using it to help launch their business. You don't need the money ahead of time to make it happen. Excellent. And thank you so much, Matt, for everything you're doing. You're providing a tremendous resource. Go check out his website at artofthekickstart.com. Can't plug it enough. And I actually just checked out the Smart Matt, which you just mentioned. Um, it looks like it's ending tonight, uh, midnight Wednesday. And um, it looks like you're right. They, they're offering an end-of-campaign special to raise even more money. It sounds like they're, they're really doing pretty well uh, for themselves. They're, do, they're doing incredible. I actually interviewed their founder after, after consulting for in, uh, Nima Jahan. But it's, that's, if you guys love podcasts, come check out my podcast. You can learn more about crowdfunding, artofthekickstart.com, slash iTunes, or slash show for the two podcasts. That's probably the best place to learn about, hear, and interact with successful crowdfunding campaigns. But it's been awesome being on here talking with you, Danny. I'm glad that we connected in Chiang Mai and got to, got to meet up. Yeah, same, Matt. It's, it's been a pleasure. I just want to thank you for coming on this show and, and sharing everything you did. It's been a fantastic interview, and I hope everyone who listens to this uh, has not just one, two, but maybe four or five takeaways from it. <laughs> I sure hope so. Thanks so much, Danny. Thanks so much, listeners, for putting up with all of this craziness. And...